This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5, Episode 72, Epiphanies. So Chip apparently reined himself in uh, and didn't go full Hamilton, but I'm going to ask, what comes next? We have defeated the shadows, and everything seems to be hunky-dory, and we start with a dance hall scene, and now <laughs> what? I like that dance hall scene. It it was very, like, you know, sort of post-war 1940s. Even, even the music was like a... I think what they would think of as a futuristic version of the 1940s jazz big band kind of stuff that you'd hear and all the streamers and sparklers. And I always wonder, like, do they really have that much decoration stuff just lying around that they can put up (laughs) when the time comes? Every single property that wins a big thing, it's like, oh, you just happen to have fireworks. Well, you never lying around. You never see it. But uh, around the corner on the Zocalo, there's a Michaels. Okay, Ah, there you go. Oh boy, that must have been expensive to kit out the whole Zocalo. Mm. Uh, you know that make you know that reminds me. We haven't seen Earhart's in a long time. I think they've scrapped the set by now. Um, but that's where we'd always hear the that's where we'd always hear the swing music. Um, yeah, I before. couldn't decide if that was Earhart's or with the with the intro shot, the way it like sort of panned under the station to this thing. I was wondering if that was like that big events room that we've seen a couple of other times, like that the Narns used for their rebirth ceremony. Things like that. No, no, for the well, that room, that room was the observation dome um, that we you. have seen a couple of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. but everything else seemed to be happening. You know, a street fair on a space station that doesn't have a street. Like Sheridan said, they get a chance to party briefly. So, <laughs> briefly, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I also um, really appreciated just the very, very first shot we get of the Star Furies flying in space and some kind of dramatic music and like Star Furies with two sort of different looking you know lights on their engines and stuff and Mm -hmm. steven was just like he was mr smug he was like that dramatic music those star freers they don't fool me it's because as soon as the celebration like you know the fireworks and stuff happened he Mm -hmm. was just like nope they didn't fool me for a second and i was like i don't remember this episode they totally fooled me i feel stupid (laughs) (laughs) well well speaking of the control group um we did have a conversation offline uh, before we recorded this one talking about uh, the previous episode, Into the Fire, and people's reactions to it. And friend of the podcast and all-around hater of cute kids in B5 episodes, Jason Snell, <laughs> he, he opined that the previous episode didn't went, went down with fans on the internet about as well as it went down with Steven. You mentioned this possibly in spoiler space, I can't recall, but... You mentioned that Stephen was disappointed in Into the Fire and might have felt a little gun-shy about going into the next episode. How's he doing? How's he doing? (laughs) I am very relieved to report that he's doing okay, you guys. He's going to (laughs) pull through. (laughs) Okay. Even before we sat down to watch this, he, he he was thinking about it. And once the episode was done, he was like, you know, I I think I realize now that the show is more grounded when we're not talking about cryptic Vorlons and stuff. Um, So he's really looking forward. 
looking forward to see where it's going now. And he said not that he didn't enjoy that storyline. He did. It's just that it did tend to dip into that that area of, you know, philosophy and, and crypticness that was is not his forte. So mm-hmm. he's he's wondering what's going to happen. He thinks that, you know, based on this episode, the the stuff uh, going on maybe with Earth uh, and maybe maybe Lita even being a character uh, at this point <gasps> are, are all sort of more ground, grounded down to, to Earth, so to speak. Things that, <laughs> things that he will that he will relate to. So he's he is looking forward to moving forward, and I'm happy about that. That's good to hear. Yes. It is yeah, very think... important to us that Stephen be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, but I, I can see the point, especially after the, the conversation with Jason as well, that the Shadow War had taken over the storyline to such an extent. And I mean, part of that is, you know, just how sort of they had to compress the resolution of it quite a bit. But yeah, I can see where if this was the thing people were watching for, for it to suddenly be over, and then to just be like, uh, okay, now what? And mm-hmm. now what is this episode? Yeah. <laughs> so. And and you know, I don't recall how open we've been about this in the pre-spoiler section. Uh, I thought we'd mentioned it. Let's be very explicit here for a second, because I think this is a good time to do it, and fans of the show who had who were like pay, really paying attention online and things like this and in the trade press would have known this. Mm-hmm. Babylon 5 aired on something called the Primetime Entertainment Network. That was a cobbled together syndication thing. It's a wing of uh, Warner Brothers domestic television. It had shows like Time Tracks and other things like that. That what? What's Time Tracks? Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> About it started with about four shows: Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, things like that. By this point, by the fourth season of Babylon Five, it's like one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons where uh, the where you're sawing off a limb uh, and you're still on the limb, and it's <laughs> all the other shows were canceled. The network was imploding. Babylon Five was the primetime entertainment network. Going into the fourth season, JMS had absolutely no assurance that there would be a fifth. And he made the decision to compress aspects of the story and arrange it so that if they did not get a fifth season, Babylon 5 would come to a satisfactory conclusion, if not the conclusion that he was necessarily working toward. And that is one of the reasons, probably, why Into the Fire was so abrupt. And you may see some other evidence of that going on uh, during this season. And that's not spoilery, because it's, we're not talking about the content. Uh, but mm-hmm. if, 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 you have any question, if you have any questions or qualms about the pacing going forward, this is a little bit of inside information that hardcore fans of the time would have known, because JMS was pretty honest about it online. Exactly. Good job laying that out. I've kind of been going back and forth on how much to tell Stephen, and I had pretty much, pretty much let him in on all of that. I think either just before this episode or just before the previous one. Mm-hmm. We'll call that an explanatory comma. That'll work. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and as far as a bit more explanation, uh, let's uh, get into what you need to know. If for some weird reason you checked in after. The Shadow War. Uh, The leaders of space station Babylon 5 have just emerged victorious from an interstellar war. As they worked to halt and then fight that war, Earth's government did a hard 90-degree turn into authoritarianism, 
and the Centauri named an emperor that would go insane and need to be killed. And the organization that controls telepaths on Earth, Psychor, has been an enemy and an uneasy ally in the past. Which leads us to this episode. With the departure of the Shadows, Earth President Clark is floundering and looking to try and reclaim power over Babylon 5. Psychop Alfred Bester learns of the plan and comes to the station, looking to use his knowledge in trade for seeking the remnants of Shadow technology at Zahadum. The expedition arrives just in time to see the planet destroyed by allies of the Shadows after evacuating. But the B-5 team is able to use Bester's information successfully and avoid a trap to make them look like terrorists. Meanwhile, after getting a very strange message, Garibaldi abruptly resigns as security chief. And on Centauri Prime, the official named as regent, while they sort out the mess, wakes up from a nightmare to discover he has company. (laughs) And that is Epiphanies. Yet another descriptive title. Yeah, yeah, I was actually pausing right then just to try and ca- and catalog. Okay, wh- where were the epiphanies? Where were the realizations? Because I'm I'm not sure there were that many of them. I know I- Stephen kind of <laughs> said the same thing, like epiphanies, huh? And I was like, well, I mean, I suppose if you squint, you can say that you know Garibaldi had an epiphany, uh, and Stephen's like, I don't think that was his own his own choice. And I was like, well, <laughs> to everybody to everybody else on the uh, on the station, it might look like he had an epiphany about what he wants to do with his life. Right. That would be my that would be my vote there. Um, and if you're if you're talking about sudden realizations, there's also. Uh, well, you know, the the regent wakes up and he's got a keeper on his neck. That's not an epiphany. <laughs> well, you, what, you, well, that, you wake up and realize that's not an epiphany. Something. That's a horror. That's a horror movie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's an epiphany for us as the audience to recognize that you know we saw all of these allies of the shadows mm. scamper off, and then it's supposed to be some sort of epiphany that hey. One of them, at least, uh, went to went to Centauri Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Those of you who are paying close enough attention will hopefully remember where we've seen another one of those ugly necklaces. <laughs> Back in World Without End. Yeah, mm-hmm. World Without End. We saw them. And that's one of the things that I... I mean, we're 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 leaping straight to the end of the episode. But this is, this is kind of big and creepy and mm-hmm. awesome. Um, the keeper was an element that just sort of came out of thin air for War Without End. Londo leans into Shadow, the keeper is on his shoulder, and it's Lovecraftian. It is really creepy. It is, Mm -hmm. uh, future Londo has suffered a fate that is just awful to contemplate and just comes out of nowhere. And then, for at the very end of this episode for one of these things to just show up again out of the blue. Foreboding doesn't begin to uh, describe it. And to such a nice guy, I'm thinking (laughs) pastels. Pastels. I know. I love him. We'll have more to say about that in spoiler space, I promise. But wow. (laughs) Yes, but in the meantime, Londo, Londo runs back to Babylon 5 as fast as he can. And look what happens in the power vacuum. Speaking of Londo running back to Babylon 5. Okay. Does that opening just not strike you all as just, we're back in season one, everybody? <laughs> it, it did a sort little, of have that feel a little. A little bit. Mm-hmm. But not, yeah. in a, not in a bad way, just sort of in a, 
uh, you know, even afterwards, I asked Stephen how, how he liked the episode. And he said, you know, I, it was good. He said, I liked it. I felt like it was a bit of a reset. And I think that that he's exactly right. You know, it, you yeah. saying it, it felt like first season a little bit just that put that all together for me. Yes, we are. We're regrounding the show back in what it used to be before it, you know, went all super cosmic. And now we're, we're, we're back to Babylon 5 as it were. Londo taking such pleasure in just the same sort of stupid bartering on the Zoglo yes. that he would have done back before everything went to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he and Jakar seem to be sort of back to square one as well. Mm-hmm. I will pretend you don't exist, and I guess I'm going to pretend you don't exist either. Yeah, it's interesting. That was one of the things that I had in my notes, uh, that this first passage sort of in or this first part of the episode um, felt to me like this whirlwind grand tour of, okay, this character, this character, this character, this character, this character. It's just, you mm-hmm. know, touching all of the buttons super, super fast. I appreciate wanting to sort of find everybody again and see where everybody is since the last episode or two have been very zeroed in on our two, the two big story arcs of um, the war in Centauri Prime. But it wasn't that it was rushed, but man, it was fast. <laughs> it was like flipping through a Rolodex, like yeah. really, really yeah. quickly. And they mm-hmm. skipped Veer, damn it. Well, there's that. Yes, there's mm-hmm. no Veer. There's no Linear. Um yeah, you know, and again, you know, we didn't necessarily see everybody in every episode before the story arc sort of took over for a while, but mm-hmm. but still. And then imagine how fast it would have had to have gone through in order to fit in every single character that we care about. Like that, oh, that would have been even even more frenetic. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And things are frenetic enough because you know Bester's back, and we have you know in. Speaking of shifting gears, apparently there's stuff happening happening on Earth. Remember Earth? Earth was a problem <laughs> at one point, and I guess it's going to be a problem again. Mm-hmm. Stephen was like, have we ever even seen Earth before? And I was like, yeah, we did. Remember Morden was talking to some important Earth people at one point. He was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because it was so long ago, it felt it felt like. Yeah. Well, I didn't like the dodgy the dodgy exterior CGI. That was some of the worst. Uh, and I yeah. don't think I don't think it was the I don't think it was the DVD's fault uh, for, on that <laughs> one. But I do like the notion that you can sort of uh, assume it from Bester's superiors' statements, and then Bester goes and confirms it. The shadows are gone. Mm-hmm. President Clark took power with assistance from the shadows. They were part of what he was banking on for backing um, that enabled, that he made him feel confident enough to kill the, uh, kill the previous president and assume power and all this stuff. And now they're gone. And he's, mm-hmm. I would ha- hazard to say, hazard to guess to say, scared. Oh, and, yeah. And what does a scared, mm-hmm. what does a scared megalomaniac do? He doubles scrambles, down. yeah, scrambles to mm-hmm. to retain as much authoritarian power as possible. Yeah, the the idea, um, and it, it's kind of laid out right at the start when um, the other psychop is explaining to Bester just how you know everybody is going to be working toward this goal, but nobody gets to know the entire plan. And Bester's just like, "That's gonna, you know, you're, you're going to run into each other in the dark," and and the other guy's like, "Nope, this is how it's got to be." Because Clark is not going to trust any group 100% until he can gain back control of, you know, Babylon 5, the other colonies that have broken away, 
uh, and whatever else it is he's got in, planned in his head. Got to rule with an iron fist. Anyway, this is a good excuse as any for Bester to go back to Babylon 5, um, mm-hmm. which is always fun. Always. It is. I, I love how like he just shows up and it's all part of this amazing scene with Zach. I was oh, yes. very, very impressed uh, with, you know, he's he's teaching some some new folks like what it's like to, to have a day on the job and how you got to cycle people in and out because you don't want them to get burned out and all that stuff. And and then here comes Londo and they have that great exchange between the two of them. And oh, that was delightful. And then, you know, you never know what's going to walk through next. And it <laughs> It's freaking Bester. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it, yeah. And it, it, he has been here it, enough times now that he, you know, he has his, his, his usual cell in the brig. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's not like everybody freaks out anymore when he arrives because it's happened enough times. There's a certain degree of, of not quite comfort, but, you know, we know how this goes sort of thing. So mm-hmm. he is, he is able to, to show up and, and this time, this time I was pleased to see that they used Lita um, as sort of an intermediary just to make sure that, that nobody mm-hmm. got scanned. That made more sense to me than anything that we've seen in a while where it comes to Bester. Uh, no, you, yeah. you, you prefer that to the sleepers and to the wall of Minbari telepaths? Well, I mean, the, the sleepers were okay. Um, the, the Minbari telepaths I, I liked just because it was funny. But then when you had Bester just traveling around on the White Star with them, that i was just like why are you trusting him mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't yeah. they didn't have a they didn't have a good enough cushion in between there so I'm yeah glad they have I, one now yeah i'm gonna give uh using lita the top spot as well if only because number one the rather cool effects they used to show bester trying to poke into the command staff's minds and then getting rebuffed and then you know going for lita herself and wham he just got hit and she smirks <laughs> that I, I I love that little bit right there when Bester discovers that she ain't no P5. <laughs> this is such a good Lita episode. Um, mm-hmm. It's she's had great moments, but she shows a lot of range in this episode. Um, she's yeah. she's trying to regain normality after uh, the Vorlons are gone and she can try to turn her quarters into some place resembling human habitation again. Mm-hmm, and then yeah. she's nervous about she's she's nervous about Bester. She's not happy about being um, ostracized. She's grateful to Zach for uh, being straight up with her. She is sly on the bridge of the White Star and she is sort of conniving and then sort of broken in dealing with Sheridan at the end. So Pat Tallman gets a lot to do in this episode, and I I don't think she does a bad job at any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen was just like, they're trying to make her a character. That was exactly <laughs> how he said it uh, during the scene where Zach is talking to her in her, in her quarters. And yep. and I like that. And she's actually another person that I talked or that I pointed to when Stephen and I were talking about epiphanies, um, just sort of the idea that she kind of deep down knew why everybody was avoiding her because that people mm-hmm. think the, the Vorlons have altered her, which they have, we know. Hello, Gills. Um, yeah. But, but then, the, you know, the fact that Zach lays it out for her, like you said, Chip, and, and having somebody say it sort of, I think, sparked another epiphany within her to be like, okay, this is the way the world is working now. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And I also like Sheridan kind of dialing it to 11 when dealing with Bester 
at this <laughs> point. I mean, yeah, we've, we've seen Sheridan have very little patience in dealing with Bester uh, before and taking a strong line. And here it's just like, he just won an interstellar war. It's like, you know, really, <laughs> dude, you think I'm going to be worried about you? I kind of when he was dealing with Bester, Sheridan's just sort of, you know, showing this in a whole new side of himself. I think it's tempered a bit right now because we also get uh, his talk with Delenn while they're on the White Star, where he gets to be more relaxed and more himself again. But this general hardline attitude of his, um, understandable, not sure it's the most wise choice in every circumstance, um, you know, but um, I'll have more to say about that in spoiler space. But, you know, you, it, you can sort of, it makes it a little easier to understand why Garibaldi might choose to resign since Garibaldi's been the one who's been pushing back against Sheridan a lot up to this point for basically not letting everyone else in on plans and such. Mm-hmm. So, Although his reaction to <laughs> Lita not letting him in on her little plan right. was, like you said, very much that's, that's, a, that's a hard line Sheridan move. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me uncomfortable and I can't quite decide... You know, like on the one hand, I feel like, well, yeah, he's in the right. You know, he's the commander. But then on the other side, she's not in Earth Force. Why should she have to, you know? Bingo. The, yeah. the, Just- the Shadow War is over. During the Shadow War, I can understand, you know, he and Delenn were the leaders and everybody else was kind of following along. Technically, the Shadow War is over, even though you're dealing with shadow stuff. It's, it's very much feels like a gray area. And I, mm-hmm. I just I didn't like the idea of him sort of scolding her in that yeah. fashion. Well, yeah, I, I, I did not like it at all either. I'm okay with the general notion of the scolding because you are basically talking about one woman who decided that the entire um, planet and all of the resources available on it needed to be destroyed. And that's yeah. a that's a hell of a decision for one person to make. Especially, if she even made it on her own. Especially, I mean, that was... That was one of the reasons I was less than happy because it sounded like Sharon didn't didn't even take into account that this might have been something else that the Vorlons did right before so they some, left some some Vorlon programming possibly but yeah. but it's still it's still there may not have been any living beings on that planet anymore but there was a lot of stuff including technology that might have actually rescued the telepaths you know you never mm-hmm. the, they were mm-hmm. in cold storage you know so so. I, I I think it's okay to think that she did a bad thing, but when Sheridan takes her down, theoretically, mm-hmm. he attacks her with her deepest fears. Mm-hmm. He he says that he would just hand her over to Psychor, and that is an awful thing to threaten. Yep, I don't really like is. I don't like that one bit. Yeah, exactly. That that's like I said. I, I will have things to say later on uh, in more detail about this. But yeah, it did not sit well with me. The why he did it, justifiable. How he did it, in my book, not. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to take two seconds and squee about uh, Zach and Lita because, <laughs> yeah, I think that's cute. <laughs> I think that I think that's so cute. I think Zach has just, you know, decided. You know, I will. You know, I said I'd do it. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to do it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be the one person who's not afraid to hang out with you. And Lita was so not expecting him to follow through. So this is true. I'm not even sure she wanted him to follow through because I, like the look, the yeah, look on maybe. her face yeah. as they're leaving the room and he suggests it. Her face goes to that. Oh, 
that's an idea. Wouldn't that be a, a thing? Like, <laughs> she yeah. is so not into it. So yeah. not into it. I, I agree. There's, uh, it's it's kind of, it, it's nice, but I can't call it adorable because I'm just not getting any hint of a chem- of chemistry there. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not. Uh, he, he shows up with the pizza in the end after she is just on the verge of crying. And it's yeah. like... Uh, you know, dude, you have the worst timing imaginable. Uh, he, yeah, it's not his but fault. He can't know he, that. He can't. He can't know that. It's not his fault. But it's still sort of. These are people in very different places, and uh, yeah. it just. <laughs> for the most part, I really like Jeff Conway in this episode, but there are a couple of performance moments where I don't quite buy it. Him trying to be smooth with Lita is one of them. And I don't know if that's... Uh, Isn't that the point, though? You're not supposed yeah. to buy it? Well, yeah. I don't, I, yeah it, it, <laughs> he's, not, he's not smooth. He's not, he's not smooth. Uh, the, the other point would be uh, some of his uh, monologuing with the security guards at the beginning, uh, leading mm-hmm. up to the arra- arrival of the three Elvis impersonators, which was completely unnecessary. Um, yeah, Stephen was just... Stephen, yeah, he just yelled, what the hell is happening on Babylon 5? That was what? the three kings, the second coming it was a visual pun and i hate puns i hate puns oh i didn't get that (laughs) wow it just got worse (laughs) okay so i'm trying to circle around we we're kind of doing the same thing that the episode is doing and going from person to person and group to group garibaldi we have not talked much about what is going on with garibaldi and his potential epiphany Whatever happened with Mr. Garibaldi? Yeah, that phone call, video call thing was, mm-hmm. I mean, there's. it seems like there's no more subtlety about the fact that something's going on with him mm-hmm. right now. Right. Yeah. Yep. I he's, love He's the... not drawing smiley faces in the steam. Oh, yeah. yeah. Non-smiley faces. Yeah. That was that was really good. That was a really good bit with the, the even face thing that he draws in the steam. That's a little unsettling. And then he gets the message that does whatever it does and he just matter-of-factly wipes off the face that's uh that's yeah something's up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was trying to decide afterwards whether we even needed the flashback to remind us that at some point something had happened that he doesn't remember mm-hmm. um uh, my thought is that, that every television. time we see well also i feel like every time we see that flashback. He is sort of seeing that flashback to a mm-hmm. certain extent. Like I get the impression, you know, he his face reacts pretty much every time he's sort of remembering, remembering that that mm-hmm. much. So at least that's the way that I that I read it. So that's not just a flashback. It's actually we're seeing his memory, and he doesn't remember anything beyond that. And mm-hmm. that's probably what's extra frustrating. And then you know he turns around, and uh, all of a sudden, before they can start making plans, uh, he uh, gives his resignation. And some of his reasons ring true. I, I can I can believe him wanting to do something for himself, do the kinds of things he had maybe wanted to do uh, outside of this job. Now that they have come through mostly unscathed from this one giant war, well, you know maybe it's time for me to step off before the next big thing happens. Um, I can buy some of that. Um, I'm not sure that it 100% sits with um, the Garibaldi before he disappeared. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, do you guys, did, did, I've, I've just felt like there was some conflict in there. Yeah, so. it's like all of the words that he is saying 
make sense. Like they're they are he's making good arguments, but those arguments don't really follow from the person that he has been. So, I mean, it, it, he's had he's had some moments where he's he's considered settling down, you know, he's had love interest type moments and and that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. there wasn't we since we didn't have any kind of visual catalyst like that. Yeah, it really does feel like something is hinky with this, especially since people hit the people who know him best aren't buying it like yeah. even even inside the the fiction of the show you know you've got zach being like i think you're making a mistake i don't think this is the right thing to do yeah ivanova is totally wtf dude yeah yep yeah and i mean like there's actually i think acting wise i want to give a shout out to bruce boxleitner for just one particular moment when he just says why to garibaldi he looks so concerned about his friend it's not mm-hmm. Why are you quitting on me? It's not, you know, what the heck is going on? It is literally, I am worried about you because this is not a thing I expect. And the look on his face just cut cut to my heart. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Bruce, Bruce, you get me. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's packing up and then he gets a visit from Jakar. And that is a very, yes. very delightful scene. <laughs> and, and, and Andreas Katsoulis and Jerry Doyle just do it so great mm-hmm. um jakar sort of stalking in and then garibaldi getting nervous and then the bear hug and the i can't breathe and it's it's <laughs> the the i can't breathe gag could be done so badly could be done so so hamily and yet uh, it, th- this was perfect and this is that was the side of uh, jerry doyle's acting that we rarely see it was mm-hmm. so it, it's it's a nice moment where you know he you know Jakar leaves and he says even for an iron he's nuts you know you still get the feeling that the Garibaldi we know is in there. Mm-hmm. Yep, whatever's going yeah. on with him, there's still there's still our you know somewhat twinkly eyed investigator guy. Yeah, with a Daffy yeah. Duck soap dispenser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, Jerry Doyle too, and and Andreas Katsoulas. I mean, to see the humorous Jakar. We haven't seen him in so long, mm-hmm. so long. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to see him play along, you know, when when he realizes that Garibaldi is nervous because he thinks um, that he's angry, he's like, OK, I'm going to play with this for a minute and, mm-hmm. you know, be all stalky and, and menacing and then bear hug. So, yeah, that that worked for me. Jakar spelling out, you know, the various reasons that it was worth it to him to try and go after his friend. Uh, it, it all worked for me. Yep. We mentioned, of course, the the plot to frame Babylon 5 for a terrorist attack is is back is circumvented and it backfires and, you know, leaves that squadron on Earth scratching their heads. You know, wait a minute. What? We thought you were the bad guys. Don't believe everything you hear. Um, Mm -hmm. So and then, uh, of course, we find out at the very end that Bester had pretty much set most of this up to give himself a bargaining chip to try and get to Zaha Doom. That just feels, you know, (sighs) I was feeling a lot of contrast between Sheridan having to send uh, the White Star with the Breaking Bad dude and send (laughs) all them to their deaths versus Bester doing it, you know, yes, sending people to be killed, but, you know, the motivation, you know, everything, for whatever reason, you know, just it felt horrible and it felt evil coming from bester in that last soliloquy 
I actually had that in my notes that that it, I think it was maybe a, a sort of mirroring act mm-hmm. on purpose because you had Bester sending men in to die. He knew he was doing it. You had Sheridan sending in people to die and he knew he was doing it. But the ways in which they went about it were so vastly different. Sheridan mm-hmm. gave them the information up front and said, we need you to do this. It is for the greater good. This is what you're doing, you know please take this on. And they all did. Whereas Bester looked them in the eye and lied to them. You know, mm-hmm. whatever Black Omega is, it's his it's his baby. And those were his best pilots. And he, he actually says, I looked those men in the eye and sent them off. And he knew that they were going to die. And it sounds like it was really just for his his beloved like he right. was just trying to, to get so it's it's all just for for personal personal gain so not only not only did he lie to them sending them off but his reason for doing it was much more selfish than yeah yeah than sheridan's yeah it's a side of him that we never see that we never saw before when he is in the cryo storage room and he is you know sort of caressing uh the railing that Mm -hmm. uh, it for his girlfriend's cubicle but yeah she is the one thing that he cares about in the universe as he has said before and he doesn't care about anything else and i think he's lying to himself and to her when he says it's a hard thing to send his his telepaths to die um yeah i i yeah, I, I'm not buying it, buddy. Not buying it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, speaking of Bester, um, Stephen was was crowing that he, <laughs> that he recognized Bester, <laughs> like when Yay. he when he first walked in. He's like, "That's that's that's Bester. I recognize him as Bester. I knew he'd be back. He was all he was all smug. I like that when he gets excited about a, a show where he he feels like he's getting it enough um, uh-huh. to to call things that are about to happen." Um, Stephen is is also now wondering what's going on with Garibaldi. So mm-hmm. he's he's I think he's kind of invested in in that plot since it's very clear now something. I mean he's he's been suspicious of Garibaldi ever since since he came back, but now it's 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 right in front right. of him. Um, and he thought that uh, he he quite liked the fact that Bester was there after dealing with such a you know big massive storyline previously. It was nice to have a noted adversary from the past come back to you know add a little bit of extra you know drama. In gravitas with something that we remember and kind of can recognize and he's mm-hmm. just uh he thought it was competently directed and he's excited about new intrigues that was how he put it mm. okay well, new yeah. intrigues indeed uh you know he mentioned feeling like the or you may have uh paraphrased that the show feels a little more grounded now that the shadow mm-hmm. war is over but this is an episode that also opens up babylon 5 again for the last several, we've not had mysteries, we've not had intrigues. It's sort of been a bullet-trained space opera moving toward a conclusion. The only mystery was how is Sheridan going to solve this? He's got a he's got a plan. How's he going to implement it? But now we don't know how the situation between Babylon Five and Earth is going to resolve itself. They have other enemies with other means of aggression at their disposal. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know if they can continue to be independent, you know. Just like uh, the beginning of the episode begins looking like season one in a lively Zocalo scene, and it's not grim death war all over the place. I think this episode ends with, you know, questions and mysteries again, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's good to be back to that. Here, here, Agreed. 
I'll just mention one thing that um, really struck me this time around that I don't think I'd ever noticed before. Um, we, of course, have heard the mantra, the core is mother, the core is father. Bester even quotes it at Lita at one point when he's trying to learn more about her. And when we get that CGI shot of the Psychor building, there's that statue in the front of a silhouette of this, like, abstract silhouettes of, you know, what look like two adult people with a child in between them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that for the first time just really kind of chilled me to the bone. Yeah, me too. I don't know. And there's something even just about the way that it, the art of it that I found Mm -hmm. unsettling. Yeah, yeah, that's like, I don't remember noticing it um, when I've ever watched this episode before. But this time, I noticed Mm -hmm. it. And oh, my God. It's like you people are creepy. <laughs> here, here. Quick opinion. Uh, does Delenn have Sheridan's number? Is he a inveterate problem solver? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think you have to be to get to the point where he is. I think so. Probably. Yeah. And the uh, the bit about untangling, spending all day untangling a rope was actually a really, really good metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And then I was thinking like, oh, my God, that sounds like the kind of thing I would do. <laughs> oh, dear. Because <laughs> I would totally do that. Yeah. Yeah. Competently, exactly. competently directed episode. Good to very well written um, script. Good performances from just about everybody, except for maybe uh, Boss Psychor, dude. That was a area where I thought the casting might have been let down a bit. But... Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a good episode, and it opens things wide open again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, time for the next book in the series, uh, so to speak. We will be uh, moving in a moment to spoiler space, where we talk about all of these things that have started and how they finish. So those of you who are remaining spoiler-free will be uh, stepping off and waiting until next time to listen. In the meantime, please watch The Illusion of Truth. Uh, That is our next episode. Also, please feel free to check in with us online. We have our website at b5audioguide.com with the discussion threads where just great, great conversation continues to happen all the time. And we can also be found on Tumblr and Twitter at B5AudioGuide. And so until next time, we are going through a jump gate. And we're back, and oh boy, it feels like so, so many things that start here. Yes, they do. <laughs> oh, well, I'll start. The, the The thing that really grabbed me this time around that I was just thinking, like, I've got to bring this up, I've got to bring this up. We talked briefly about how how Sheridan handling his questioning of Lita was probably the wrong way to go. This time around watching that episode, I was going like, dude, it starts here. This is where you drive her into Byron's camp. This, You've done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've done it. Uh, yeah. Making that threat alone is enough to permanently break her trust in you. So, yeah, I was just that, – that was all through my head, and I was cringing like crazy uh, when he did that. I feel like that was a huge, huge misstep on his part. Agreed. I would have gone into more detail, but I felt like it would have been too spoilery. But mm-hmm. um, I think that that is not that is not JMS writing um, Sheridan as an angry big damn hero. 
that's JMS writing Sheridan as an angry, fallible hero. Yes. Because, because he winds up having a very big blind spot in how to deal with telepaths. And in this moment, when he threatens to turn Lita back over to the Psycor, he's basically falling back uh, on some standard anti-telepath prejudice. Mm-hmm. He is he is letting his prejudice his his latent prejudices against telepaths, which is kind of rough because you know his his friend and commander is a latent telepath and would have the same mm-hmm. issue. You know he's just he's just he's doing it wrong. He is mm-hmm. using Lita. He he is treating Lita as an other and as a tool. And I don't recall how much this is going to come out in the remainder of season four. But this does, you're right, Shannon, this drives everything that Lita does and the way that she interprets everything that happens to her going forward in season five. In season five, we're going to, does it it happen in this season or next season when she's got nowhere else to turn and Bester draws her back into the side Makes the deal with Bester. I think that's... I think that's still in season four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is yeah, crying. She is crying in the end as she puts the Psychor badge on. And, gah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When she pulls those gloves on, it is it is one of the most heartbreaking scenes in all of Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So, Agreed. Uh, and, you know, this this stuff may make me feel better about the execution of the first part in season five, sort of because i'm 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 paying attention to the setup for that um mm-hmm. you know uh we'll, we'll see what happens when i actually watch it but uh we know where this is going and we know why lita is doing this this is actually very true to her character exactly mhm and on the flip side something i caught this time around that i don't think i did before uh, on rewatches, I wouldn't have caught it the first time necessarily, of course. Bester commenting about his ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stood out for me, too. Th- this time I realized, oh, hell, he's talking about Garibaldi. And mm-hmm. it's very convenient in, th- in this episode that Garibaldi and Bester never cross paths. Very well, true. That's, that, well, that is almost certainly part of the instruction that gets sent through that weirdo message is, you know, go and resign you know, Bester's coming, you can't, you're not going to be in the same room with him. So yes, very conveniently, Garibaldi resigns just in time for Zach to be the one at that table that uh-huh. as, as Bester's bouncing around into, into heads. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and he's right too in his, in what he says in that last to himself soliloquy thing, uh, that, that my ace in the hole will hurt them far more than anything they could ever do to me, which is yeah. true because this is awful and it sucks. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd meant I'd meant to mention that line. Um, he's got such a high opinion of himself. He he's thinking about the characters laughing at him behind their backs, and about how how they're hurting him. What a self righteous, self centered ass! Oh yeah, oh yeah, yes. And Walter Koenig does it so well. <laughs> he does. He really does. Let's see what else have we got going forward. Um. Well, we already talked a bit since uh, of the keeper stuff um, because uh, we got we have the benefit of the flash forward, knowing that Londo is going to get one eventually. Um, but yeah, this the the first time that you know, and we still don't know the poor man's name. It's Verini, Minister Verini. 
Milo Varini that, you know, whenever they finally give hit the poor man a name. I'm not um, even sure that they ever do it on the show. I think it may be just in the uh, supporting books. Oh, wow. Okay, we'll have to pay attention for that because it, it sounds familiar. It sounds, I, I feel like I can hear Peter Jurisic's voice, you know, there talking was, about Ver, Verini somewhere. A, there was another character named Verini in And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. So mm-hmm. we'll just say that it's a common surname, I guess. Maybe it very well could be, but okay. uh, but uh, well, I just I just call him pastels. I've been waiting to say I, <laughs> I, I, I've been waiting to refer to him as pastels guy for so long, and now I can. <laughs> <laughs> the truth has set you free. Yes, I'm. I'm not sure I can go there, no, knowing knowing he's got his little buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and. Uh, and we will see the little buddy again on somebody else in a couple of episodes. And uh, we'll oh, get Oh, shoot. A- Remind me. Racing Mars. Uh, That's not helping. <laughs> let- yeah, episode titles it's, don't it's, help it's either. The, it's the other science fiction television show no. with a character named Captain Jack. No. No. Chip, I'm sorry. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> We'll get there. All right, we'll get there. It's the one where they meet the Mars resistance, and there's a guy there with a keeper on his shoulder. Okay, thank you. That's what I needed. Context. Me too. You people. Context, please. It's spoiler space. You're allowed to say these things. I know, but I'm trying to draw it out of you. If I can't teach you... uh, 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 Fine, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just sit here. (laughs) Actually, that, that does bring me to the fact that I think... You know, as as often, you know, useless as I have been in spoiler space, Aww. I feel like it's only going to get worse from here on in because <laughs> because as we talked about, I think in episode zero um, or in this in the spoiler section, I think of episode zero when I was when I when I think about Babylon five and, and explain the show to people in broad strokes, the thing that I think about is the shadow war. That's what I always come back to. And that mm-hmm. is the part of the the show that really dug in and stuck for me. And I remember sort of the the big picture stuff that happens after this but i remember even less of the details than i did for the shadow war stuff Mm. so Mm. so yeah i i have absolutely zero like it's not even ringing a vague bell that there's somebody with a keeper um on mars so i feel like it's going to be kind of exciting for me because a lot of these episodes i will be going into even even more cluelessly than i had been before uh so i'm you know sitting next to steven on the couch i won't be going keep a straight face keep a straight face i'll be reacting (laughs) Well, at least you all will be on the same page. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are, we've got three distinct phases of Babylon 5 left to go. There is the Earth War phase. Mm -hmm. There is the Long Hair phase. And then there is the Fall of Centauri Prime phase. Okay. So those are those are the, those are the three sections that we've got left in the remainder of season four, and then in the two parts of season five. I think I'm more like Erica. I mean, I remember sort of the big arcs of having to uh, work first against uh, the propaganda war, and then the out and out war um, to take Earth back from the Clark regime, and everything that goes along with that. Uh, and then, you know, leading into season five, and as you said, you know, mainly the telepath war is what I remember, but you know, there is the Centauri Prime issue as well. But I tend to, like, remember moments that, like, 
moments that I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, Marcus and Stephen having to pretend to be a, a married couple uh, as they go back um, go back to sneak in on Mars, <laughs> um, things like that. Garibaldi realizing too late that he made a huge mistake and he has totally blown it. Um, and helping to rescue Sheridan um, after his capture, things like that are are the things that stick with me. Uh, the one line that I'm really looking forward to, and it's, it's appropriate to talk about it in spoiler space for this episode, is when Marcus and Stephen deal with the Mars resistance, they have no clue about the Shadow War. They have no clue that any of this mm-hmm. has happened. Mm-hmm. And Marcus right. is so crestfallen. He says that I'm a war hero and nobody knows it. <laughs> right. That's right. And, and that is kind of cool that we do have this interstellar war, broad stakes, the broadest possible scope. And mm-hmm. now we're now we're going into this significantly smaller, more personal story. And the only people who know anything about the Shadow War aspect of it are the people in Earth Force who were in League. Other than that, yeah. everybody's completely oblivious. Yeah. And they have no idea why, as yep. th- they have no idea why Sheridan comes back at the head of a gigantic armada of alien ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the next episode's going to be hard. <laughs> Very hard for me to watch with the with with the journalist coming in and asking all what seem to be the right questions, and then the the final program is something totally other. It's it, it's more a commentary on on the media, and I I don't know. I'm just I I think I'm going to be squirming a lot. Are you, yeah, are, I always I are, always am. Yeah, yeah. Are you saying that you're not eager to watch an episode that's all about fake news? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Ugh. That's Gosh, exactly the, what I'm our timing on this show, you guys, was maybe not ideal. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Yeah, yeah. Who knew when we started this mm-hmm. th- what, two, ago. three years ago? Yeah, yep. yeah. Although we'll try to. I mean, we'd like this podcast to serve as a sort of a, a permanent, uh, permanent guide that evergreen. people can look to. Yeah, we want to keep it evergreen, but we're not going to be able to completely divorce uh current events from it yep not <laughs> not this time <laughs> i i liked that we get the little bit where steven thinks he's going to be able to fix jakar's eye and yes in an episode or two jakar is going to have a a blue eye andreas katsoulis's real eye to go with his contact lens red one and you know just jakar pulling that eye out of a socket so he can wave at it and see himself <laughs> mm-hmm. and then use uh, it to be like super creepy stalker dude Oh, I'd forgotten about that. We'd yeah. always known. We'd always known he was a lich. Yep. Yeah, there's no question, Damn it. really. <laughs> we haven't touched anything. Of course, nothing was said in this episode uh, hinting towards the events on Mimbar. The the fact that Dylan's going to have to help uh, quell a civil war on her own planet before everything is said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that is coming as well. Yeah. John Vickery for the win. Woo. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, last call? Just really mm-hmm. excited again that all this, all this, this is the first time in a while we've had a lot of stuff to cover in spoiler space. True. Yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah, finally things are being set up and put in motion again going forward instead of dealing with uh, what's going on right this mm-hmm. instant, right this instance. 
Well, then, we will thank our spoiler veterans for sticking with us through the last part of this podcast. And again, our next episode is The Illusion of Truth, which we will be talking about uh, next time. Until then, this is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. <laughs>